we don't have to explain gas. They just buy the car. If it says go get regular or go get unleaded, that's what they do. And they don't, they, it's never a point we bring up with EVs and charging. We have to talk to about, talk to people about it unless they've pre-educated. And that is a very small swath of the marketplace. We're talking maybe five to 10% of the market that will want to pre-educate on that level. And that's, and so our goal is to say, if we know that's the truth, we're not going to see this massive spike of EV sales with people saying, gosh, I became an electrical engineer and I know how to drive my car. They need it easier than that. And I think that's part of what our focus was with our platform is you choose your car. You can see stations that work for you. We have a charge time estimator that helps you understand how charging works. And we have a trip planner that helps you go where you want to go. And it does all the thinking for you. Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, a transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, uh, a discreet management consultant, but we're not talking about that in this show because we don't talk our own book. Also, the founder of the Human Driving Association, and I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest because I love EVs, and I have had the most maddening experiences driving any EV that's not a Tesla for reasons that our guest today will explain, and then he's going to talk about a solution. Our friend, Matt Teske, founder and CEO of Chargeway. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you for having me today. We're looking forward to the conversation. I think, well, yeah, where do you want to kick off? <laughs> Before we talk about the problem you're trying to solve, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to launch Chargeway? Uh, yeah, I, uh, that was a personal experience of mine. I, my wife and I have been driving EVs for 10 years. And the first EV we bought, I uh, called the resort that we're going to go to on a road trip. And I asked them if they had EV charging. They said yes. And when we showed up, uh, the, one, the one behind the counter said, let me get the maintenance guy. Because I asked, where are your EV chargers at? And he walked us out to a wooden shed at the end of the parking lot and flipped open a little electrical outlet, little 110, and said, there you go. And uh, that night at dinner, in my horror, I, I thought this is not good. We had a Chevrolet Volt, so we had backup for gas, which was fine. But that was shocking to me that it wasn't as simple as I thought it and hoped it would be. And my wife at dinner that night said, she said, well, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, she said you're a car guy. And by that, she was referencing the fact I've worked in the auto industry for over 20 years. And I've worked on marketing, communication, brand strategy efforts for brands like Toyota and Scion and General Motors, uh, special vehicle programs and projects. So I I know cars. But in that moment, I said, yeah, I I think I'm still a car guy. And she said, well, if you couldn't do this, how would I do this? How would anybody do this? That's not you if you couldn't. And I thought, that's a good question. And it was the inception of how do we do this better? And from there, I really realized it wasn't about the fact we're asking people to buy new cars. We're really asking them to buy new fuel. And that's really what electric cars are all about when it comes to the ownership experience. And so that was the moment of realization of we need to explain this. And then when I realized how the industry was going about it, it was all steeped in engineering terminology. And I kept thinking, you know, well, the competitive product that's out there is called regular. Like that's what people call it. And so if we're trying to get them to think about all these engineering terms and they can just go get regular, we have to reimagine how we communicate how charging works. And so that was really where Chargeway started from, for how do we solve this and, and make a landscape that's easier to navigate. Before we jump into follow-up questions, I just want to note that I really wish they still made the Chevy Volt with a V. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great car. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, uh, the plug-in hybrid thing, I, I, for a long time, was a little bit like, it's not that I didn't get it. I got it, but I was like, oh, you know, a bit of a like cop out. But the more automakers shift to all EVs and drop any 
uh, PHEVs, the more I'm, the more intent I am that they really should go back to that because you could own one car, right? Like you could go, you know, you could, you could go cross country and you don't have to have a giant battery, but you can have your around the town, you know, all EVs. So total segue, but just needed to address it immediately because, um, when I would test drive um, the second generation Volt, I had people stopping me all the time who it's a little bit of a cult classic. Like I still every now and then see a few around town and um, wish I had one. It's fun- so actually funny story. I first came across Matt back when all of a sudden I, w- I, w- I was at Truth About Cars. And one day there was this website for this car called the Chevrolet Jolt, which was like this sporty electric vehicle from from Chevrolet and like it's actually it was really funny because I I had like I someone tipped me off to it and and it was so well done that like no one could tell if it was real or not or at least people for for a while were having a hard time and, and anyway I found I found Matt he happens to live in Portland uh, where I live as well and um and and it's funny to me that like this is I feel like this there's like a couple of things that you are sort of like waiting for the rest of the world to to catch up to on and one is like hey EVs and sporty go together really well that one that one I think people have caught up to but now with with charging and and the need to kind of take a very complicated very unstandardized world of charging and make it simple um I think that's another one and um I think you and Alex ran into each other at the at the New York Auto Show right which is where. You were t- tell us about why why you were there why they they asked you to be there because I think it might help people understand sort of why this charging thing is well yeah. and also help explain like what actually the yep. company does what, what does Chargeway do <laughs> why are we talking about you what's the simple thing so no and no so yeah the the reason we were in New York was we, one of the things we work on closely with Chargeway is with electric utilities and what we found in our research and when that moment happened I have to figure out how to simplify this. It was looking at the landscape of what is everybody explaining with charging. And utilities, as an example, they have always just leveraged kilowatts and kilowatt hours as they reference your bill and everything else. But they are now producing a fuel and they don't see themselves that way. And so what we wanted to figure out was what is it people have to navigate in order to use the electric car that they've purchased with confidence? And because it's not universal, people can't shop for electric cars the way they shop for, for gas cars. But they are doing that still. Is they are still saying, you know what? I'm I'm not a, I'm not into Tesla. I'm more of a Ford guy. I want to buy that Mach E. And what we realized what we realized through our research was, based on the vehicle you select, that dictates your landscape of how you can trust using electricity as a fuel, and then your living experience that will also dictate it. So what we looked at is, you need to know plug type. You need to know you can connect. That's number one. You need to know you can actually hook up to get the electricity. And number two, it was you need to understand how power works in the sense that how much power can your car accept, and then how much power is a station that you are at offering you. And that will directly dictate your fill-up time. And we needed to figure out how do we explain all of those details for J1772, CCS, Chatamo, and Tesla for plug type, along with what is the difference between the power level a car can accept, whether it's AC or DC, and then what is the power level that station is offering you. And what we found quickly was if you promise a kilowatt, just like in any advertising, that's what people expect. So if you say it's a 150-kilowatt station and you plug in and you're only getting 132 you immediately think there's something wrong with my car, there's something wrong with the station. And in reality, that might be the maximum level that your car can accept in, in DC fast charging, as an example. And so all of that said, we realized that it's not just about talking about it, you have to visualize it. There is no signage. There is no visualization around electricity as a fuel type. One of the focus groups we held, one gentleman said, if I'm driving my F-250 or my Mustang, I'm driving on the highway, if I see a gigantic yellow shell, well, let's, you know, 50 feet in the air, I know I'm safe. I know I can fill up. 
Whereas he said, I don't see anything like that when it comes to charging. And I thought, well, the problem is the signage the government is using is just a blue and white sign that looks like a gas pump that has EV on it. And there's a lot more to it than that because you need to know plug type and power and all those details. So the visualization of charge was to simplify it, was to say, let's convert plug types into simple colors and power levels into simple numbers to create a wayfinding system that allow people to see it on a map, on a mobile device or inside of a vehicle that they can then understand my car goes to this color station based on my plug type. And then we can tailor the charging map based on the vehicle so they know which stations work for them based on power. And so they could quickly choose a vehicle and then say, I drive a, let's say Volkswagen ID4. I go to green stations. My vehicle is a level six vehicle. And I see green six, green two, green seven, green three on the map. I can choose one of those stations that will then help dictate my fill up time. If it's below number six, it'll take longer. If it's at number six, that's my best fill up if I need to fill up and charge. And that was really the premise of what we wanted to do for the language. And then we had to create a software platform that, uh, was then on display at the New York Auto Show where Alex and I ran into each other. <laughs> nice. Um, so as far as the mobile app, um, you know, that has been the go-to device for years now. Um, every time I tested an EV with the exception of Tesla because it had integration, you know, in the, the, the center display, virtually every other automaker, I mean, didn't have anything. I, I remember test driving a, I think it was a... Hyundai Kona. And when I looked on the navigation, it just would list places and would have like an arrow pointing like four miles. And then, yeah, yeah. but it wouldn't give you any real basic information. So I was always constantly looking at my phone or charting and planning out my, my um, EV road trip prior to, to going is the mobile app um, hosted like as a third-party app in any vehicles today, or are you working on that, like getting it into there? Because yes, automakers have caught up a little bit, um, especially some of the EV startups like Rivian, where it's very easy to see exactly where the chargers are. You can sort by type, um, but a lot still don't. Mm-hmm. And so you're still taking out the mobile app and pre-planning your trip. So what what are your plans in terms of that for Chargeway? Yeah, it's a big focus of the conversations we've had in the last you know three or four years since we launched the platform has been talking with OEMs. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of them, they were going through the process of realizing that it had to be, this was an element they had to really be mindful of. And I think the best example I can think of is in 2017 when the Bolt launched and when Mary Barra was asked, so what are you doing about infrastructure? How are you guys thinking about that? And, and at the time, her response was, we don't do that. That's not what we do. We're not thinking about that. And fast forward a half a decade, and now everybody's realizing more clearly, oh, we really have to think about that. So that's a conversation we've had with a lot of OEMs, and we've met with virtually all of them on what our solution can provide them. I think one of the things we're realizing is that the OEMs really see, the, in their view, the need to try to compete with what appears to be a Tesla ecosystem, is they really want to represent what they feel is theirs. And so if they can own it, that's right now what appears to be most important to them. So they are taking data and trying to create what appears to be their own world. You can look at uh, the Blue Oval Network from Ford or Ultium 360 from General Motors. They're trying to create that type of a commentary. I think that, unfortunately, because those who are in the know realize that that's mostly PR and that's not an actual thing, is that when drivers actually encounter real-life charging and it is a you know collaboration of different networks with under this umbrella PR name, it's still creating the same conundrum of they don't really understand how to use it. They're just thinking it's as easy as, well, Tesla's go to superchargers and I go to Blue Oval. And there's just more to it than that. And 
And I'm only referencing two OEMs. Many of them have not even gotten to that point. They're just still taking data and just putting it in a map saying, there's a CCS DC fast charging station there with a CCS combo SA standard plug at 150 kilowatt. And they will list it that way. And a driver looks at it and goes, okay, so that means that's what I get. Well, maybe. Depends on your state of charge. Depends on your vehicle's capability. And so I've, what we've really focused on first is saying, let's put it in the driver's hands and then see where else we can help drivers by using Apple CarPlay as an example, where they can actually emulate it into the vehicle. Um, and we're working on finishing Android Auto right now. So that's step one. But now we hear you know, groups like GM saying, we're, we're completely getting rid of Apple CarPlay. We're solely focused on our own software ecosystem. And that is going to be interesting to see how that plays out because a lot of consumers are going to say, that's nice you want to do that, but it better be bulletproof. Like it better be phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that really many um, automakers have figured out software. Um, and I could cite many vehicles in which, <laughs> you know, that that is a problem in, in particular. Um, and I know that Ford has corrected this, so I'm not picking on them really. But um, I remember test driving the Ford F-150 Lightning and on the map, just like embedded in the map, it showed me where all the gas stations were. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Cause I'm like, thank you. I could guess I could go buy some water there, but right. that's not what I need. Um, yeah. And it's not just about saying, Oh, there is an EV charger here, as you mentioned, or even listing a bunch of numbers that don't necessarily translate for a driver, especially a new EV driver. But the difference to me between let's say what Tesla does and a couple other companies is, is it available? Yep. You know, for instance, um, how many people are using it right now? Um, the number of times I have driven up to an EV charger and it's had something blocking it mm -hmm. or doesn't work is like too many to even count. So that to me is what creates more range anxiety. It's not like the range. It's knowing that you can fill it up. You use the um, anecdote earlier of like seeing the giant, you know, shell sign and I'm curious to see how like GM's relationship with pilot, I believe, and some of these other relationships play out because that to me would be like number one, first step, just put EV chargers next to a gas station. Everyone knows where gas stations are because they're very well signed. They have attendance. You can like, they're well lit. Um, you know, you can do all these things and then you can, you know, maybe cross the next bridge, which is sort of the education of like the different charge rates and something like that. It just seems like they're kind of doing everything a little bit backwards, um, every automaker. The gas station approach I think is, is wise, um, namely because you have amenities there and you have attendance and you have a ability to provide oversight. I think the business model of public infrastructure for fast charging and standard charging for, for AC and DC as well it is really part of the problem is it's a very set it and forget it type approach is the the model by which the networks are using to you know, basically create a revenue stream is we will sell you a, the hardware up front to whomever wants it, a mall, a municipality, a utility, you name it. And then the ongoing revenue is you subscribe to our software platform that allows you to monitor your charger. And they say, great. That, so we have visibility into who's using it. That's, then they just take a step back and say, if something happens to that physical hardware, that's on you to let us know that's a problem. So that's putting the onus on their customer to be the attendant. And so are they prepared to do that? The answer is no, because in the in the documentation they see, they ask questions like, what is your, the customer will say, what is your uptime? Oh, 98% or something along those lines. And so the the people buying the hardware and software you know, solutions from third-party networks, they are believing in these networks saying, you have a great product. We don't have to babysit it. But to your point, 
how many things can go wrong? Screen breaks, connector breaks, a wasp makes a nest inside of a charger. I mean, all kinds of random, ridiculous things that people can encounter. And somebody has to be mining the store. And up until now, there really has not been a lot of, you know, focus on that. And it basically goes from the people who pay for and put in the infrastructure, they just put that on the driver. So the driver then has to have a mechanism to provide feedback, reporting, and then let the network know this is a problem. And then the networks will oftentimes just say, well, hey, the people that bought it from us, they're not complaining. We, we don't have to jump in and fix it just yet. And so then you look at the contrast of that is Tesla and how they manage their supercharging network. And they actually have a team that manages the supercharging network. And that's, that is the fundamental difference. If without ownership of the fueling experience, it becomes the Wild West in a variety of ways. And you know through our system, we want to at least provide transparency on which stations you can use for your car without having to navigate the chaos. But then within that experience, you can then, through Chargeway, for example, the mobile app, you can report a problem directly to the network if you're standing at a station that has one. You can just hit a button and it sends an email to that network's customer service team with the name of the station. You can describe what happened. So that's one thing that we thought of what will a driver need as opposed to just leaving a, a thumb up, thumb down rating, which is also there. But we need to provide communication within that experience. And I hope that the Nevi dollars that are being spent soon will really put some more teeth in uptime and maintenance uh, with those who are receiving those funds because there has to be some accountability there. So For sure. The uptime and maintenance is a big one. Sorry, Alex. Um, just finish this thought. Also location and signage. And I see this not just with the third-party sellers of sellers of hardware, but Electrify America, for instance, is one which I thought had a lot of promise and it has established a footprint. But just to your point in the beginning where you talked about, it's not just about labeling something, a supercharger and having it all look the same, that great, you know, we can identify it as a brand, but that doesn't matter as much as location. Is it working? And the ease of the bit to me, the biggest selling point of the supercharger network is that you can drive up and the car recognizes the charger and you literally just, it, it is actually easier than gas. You don't have to do a credit card or anything. And my anecdote for that is um, Electrify America has a, a huge um, installation um, outside of Tucson um, near Outlet Mall. Great location for it. No shade. So it's about 110 degrees in the summer. Um, guess what? The credit card readers never work because they get blasted by the heat every single day. And even some of the fleet people I know who are bringing, you know, press cars and stuff, they won't even use it anymore because they are 50 to 60% of the time, they can't get a single one to work. So there are like maybe 12 chargers there. So it's not just about like the branding, as you said, or um, even how, you know, it's well communicated where it is. The signage is actually pretty good. But the ease of use, the fact that it's pretty much never going to be working and just being able to plug in your vehicle and not have to, to do any sort of financial transaction to me is like a key piece of getting people to see the benefit of EV over a gas powered vehicle because it's actually easier. I'm curious. It's been 10 plus years. Ed's not going to like this. It's been 10 plus years since Tesla opened the supercharger network. You, I imagine you've spoken to a number of OEMs over, over these years. Like, how, how is it possible that so many of them, most, almost all of them, thought that they would develop and sell EVs, which take many years to develop and you know, get, get to market, without a plan? 
for charging. It's just something as basic as understanding that the product is not just the car. The product is the entire user experience end to end. Like whom else did you speak to besides, you know, I mean, uh, who did you talk to and what did they say? Name an OEM that is, that is currently producing an EV and we've spoken with, with their EV team. So all of them essentially. So in, in the last 10 years and, and five years since we've had Chargeway in market, what we discovered, and I think you bring up a great point, Alex, is that the way that they've been thinking, the auto, the legacy automakers, is they think in buckets for how what do they have to do. Their goal is, and what they know and understand is, we are automakers and they are their prowess is mechanical engineering. It's, it's also not software. I mean, they've always outsourced software to a variety of you know various different companies. So their mindset is, we can produce the car itself, and once we've done that, access to fuel, access to electricity, access to the, the grid, that's not something we've ever managed in the same way we've never managed the access to, to gasoline. We've relied on third-party companies to do that for us. So I think part of the issue that they've run into is their mindset going into how to produce a vehicle, regardless of the fuel, is part of what guided them down a pathway that led to these issues, is they simply weren't thinking about the fact that that was an element that was going to be an issue over time. They, I mean, the amount of OEM, like the legacy OEM representatives that, that I'm sure that you've even spoken to over the years, and Ed too, how many of them were producing EVs or in EV programs that had never driven a Tesla? <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, them. yeah they, they had said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they make a car with a big battery in it. That's fine. It's like, no, 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 you have to experience the ownership of this and what they have thought of every touch point along the way for that owner, whether it's the buying process, whether it's the driving experience, or most importantly, that charging experience and how to manage the expectations around that. I think what happened, I mean, I literally had one OEM when we presented Chargeway. I had one OEM, uh, one of the reps from their EV team literally said to us at the end of the presentation, that's really interesting. We, we'll, we wish you the best of luck with your little project. And I thought, wow, this is really frightening because they're not even thinking about the fact that when they produce this vehicle that they're about to sell and hand it to the dealers who try to explain the value, and then those customers have to believe that value, they think that this is just going to solve itself. And I immediately thought this is a very um, telling moment of where the, a lot of these legacy OEMs are for how they understand how to produce a car and how an EV and the ecosystem of ownership is very different. And now we're seeing it, you know, change. We're seeing brands like GM and Ford bring in, you know, they have GM Energy now and we have Ford that has, you know, hey, you can power your house with your F-150. They're thinking about it, but even still, they're not thinking about it in a way that is comprehensive. It's more so, again, good example is F-150 Lightning. You can power your house with this. Okay, but that's technically true. How does someone actually set that up? Well, it depends on your home. How big is your breaker box? You better call that electrician. Oh, by the way, you need an inverter to convert that DC to AC. All those details that end up, end up costing an additional 20 grand potentially at a home. It's not as easy as just saying your truck can power your house. So they, they were glossing over some realities of energy. And let's just be blunt. The automakers are not energy companies. They do not understand that sector. And what's worse is if they're bringing in people that are experienced from the energy sector to manage, manage these energy teams, we're already seeing an instance of people at the OEM saying, okay, tell us how to market this. Tell us how to build these programs. Tell us how to build these offerings. And the utility representatives that have experience are coming in saying, we never had to market anything. We have monopolies. So we're not, we don't know how to explain how all of a sudden, you know, Ford or GM is in, in the energy space in a way that Bob and Jane that know nothing would understand. This is a communication issue just as much as it's a technology issue. And what's interesting is the technology now exists, but how we translate that ownership experience in that ecosystem is going to be fundamental to the success of EVs coming from a lot of these brands 
because they don't own the experience like Tesla. They have to piece together all these elements that will make that ownership experience happen. And unfortunately, to date, it's still very kind of build the plane as we're flying it. And that's what we're seeing. And and just to be devil's advocate, or not devil's advocate, but to, to sort of pick up where Alex left off by saying, I'd be angry about this. I'm not angry about it. One of the frustrations I have about the situation is that we don't know what the economics of owning your own uh, uh, charging network really actually are, right? Like oh, yeah. we don't have the transparency into Tesla. And my guess is, <laughs> and I, you know, I haven't done a thorough study of this, but like if every other automaker is like, well, we're going to get right. So like, obviously there's, there's, there's downsides to this third party approach, right? Like asset light infrastructure co- network companies is kind of like, obviously it's problematic. And Matt, I thought you did a great job of describing that, but it seems to me also that like, to the extent that there is movement on the OEM side towards getting into more of a like owned experience and really trying to replicate the, the Tesla thing, it's because EVs, the meat of the EV market in this country is still quite premium. And so to yeah. me, it, it, so I'm, I'm curious, is that, is that where you see this going to some extent that like at the high end of the market for these, for the premium EVs, which is again, most of the market right now, but obviously hope, hopefully not, not, not all of the EV market uh, for too much longer, uh, that, that sort of, we see that split happen and that like sort of that full, like bespoke end to end Tesla like experience is really only going to be sustainable at the high end of the market. And that, we have to find a sort of different way of making this work for the for the mass market. Is that is that a fair? Because I think you're, and I'm curious also how how this colors you know your strategy for for Chargeway. Because you know, does that fit both of those? I'm I'm really curious how you see that all playing out. I think um, to the last part of your question, how that strategy would fit Chargeway. In either instance, Chargeway will be beneficial to the driver in that respect. Um, we have a lot of Tesla owners that use our platform, for example. Why? Because they have adapters where they can use non-Tesla stations, and our platform makes it very easy to just. Hit a switch and see a different color and a different power level, and up. Oh, that's where I take my adapter. So it's I like think- a it's like a UI layer that can go through either or like a because like you say it's a communications challenge that you're solving. Yeah. Whereas whereas there's all these other problems that kind of feed more into the. Well, I think the technological problem. One, one thing is a good example is you know the, the premium experience you're talking about. I mean, is it going to lean that direction for they have to invest into that? We're going to have this premium experience ecosystem for people who can afford it, and everybody else has a wild west experience, right? Um, I think that as an example, the Nevi dollars, the Nevi funds that are coming out that are being spent, we're talking five billion in infrastructure. I think one of the biggest concerns that I have personally is that the the hardware that's being invested into to provide those stations you know, to drivers in various states is simply by design more complicated and creates more opportunity for problems to go wrong than what Tesla has designed as a product ecosystem. If you if you look at a supercharger, it's effectively a dummy charger. It is just the cable and the connector. And you know, as, as Kristen said earlier, it's every single thing that goes on with plugging in feels simpler than gas because you literally could just pull up, plug in, and all the technology that manages payment, tells you how long the charger is going to take, that's all done behind the scenes. So I think a part of the issue we're going to see is that the level of complication, or not complication, but complexity of the hardware of it has buttons, it has screens, it has card readers, it has all these other things that can go wrong. And candidly, the CCS connector by design is just not as elegant as the Tesla connector. And the manufacturers of those connectors, whether we're talking um, Phoenix Contact and others, those things can have issues too. And so all of those different layers of what could go wrong are part of what will create an issue over time with vehicles that are leveraging that connector type and infrastructure. And so I think that, and, and I can't wave a magic wand and change that. And we've got multiple hardware companies. We're talking ABB, FSX, Signet, 
uh, I mean, go down the list, VTC power that are vying to have the ability to provide this infrastructure through these contracts. And they do have hardware that does work, but all those elements that could go wrong compared to the Tesla supercharger deployments is something that we can't pretend isn't there. And if over time that causes issues for other brands outside of Tesla to have a quality charging experience away from home, you then create an issue for success for those other brands. So I think these are things that are just kind of being almost casually overlooked. Like, it, just get the hardware on the ground. It works. We know it works. It's like, yeah, but you have all these things that could have problems that you're just casually overlooking. But that requires so much communication and collaboration between legacy automakers, the hardware providers for the for those uh, networks, the networks themselves, the, the ISO 1511A plug-in charge approach to make it seem like it's Tesla where all that is done in the background, but then you still have that issue with the hardware being more complex. So I, there's all these different pieces to take into consideration that I think are just kind of being casually overlooked. It's like, well, that EA station is just as good as the supercharger because it's a 350 kilowatt EA station. But then as we just heard about, you know, for, for Tucson, not if it's baking in the sun and the card reader doesn't work and the screen goes bad, that means you have a hard time filling up. We are right in the moment. We're still deploying that type of hardware. I think that's going to be a problem for time. I'm glad you brought up the screen part or like all the all the other add-ons of the hardware because that to me seems to be the pieces that are the ones that are breaking, right? So it's like it works but you the screen doesn't work anymore so you can't see what's happening. And I'm wondering one part that you've talked a little bit about but haven't really done a deep dive in is the fintech piece. So you know, Chargeway is certainly more, I would put it in like the educational category, making it simple and easy to know where you're going. But have you ever actually explored or thought about adding a fintech layer to the app where the payment could happen through that as opposed to um, maybe making it more of a universal like payment system? Mm -hmm. Um, Because while there are some plug and play options that are being rolled out now, there's very few still mm-hmm. out there um, that would bypass this hardware issue potentially. So have you thought about that at all? Or is that just an area that there's, it, it's just, it's, it's too complex to kind of jump add that layer. There's certainly some complexity to it. I think one of the biggest things that is, is hard to break out and Ed kind of hit on this earlier is what is that business model and the business case for the infrastructure alone, let alone what is the FinTech play there? If you're if you're processing the charge, you know the payments, for example, for fast charging, you know uh, sessions. Number one is those are already more expensive by nature for peak you know, peak charging demands that happen through the utility to the network. And so if you're also trying to put on top of that a layer of how you could potentially make dollars out of those sessions, you need to have a very large amount of sessions to make that a viable business model. And so in that respect, I, I think that ISO fifteen eleven eight as a as a, a process will probably be the direction the industry goes as opposed to trying to have multiple ways of different platforms that could do a payment processing solution. Um, but we're kind of at the beginning of that conversation because we're going to have a lot of legacy hardware and legacy vehicles on the road that don't have that technology that will have to have the ability to activate a session. But the industry is trending in the direction of this will all be done on the back end through the OEM. So if it's done through the OEM, then as a driver, the other tools in your in your in your tool belt for how you use charging will need to be how do you navigate and understand how to use it. Um, I just I don't foresee that the fintech play. I mean, there's other companies that are trying it in this space that are looking to get VC funding behind it, and there's VCs that want to fund you know fintech 
startups. But I've I've looked at the landscape and I'm just thinking there's there's a ceiling for this based on the technology alone and based on what even OEMs are planning on doing. Another example is GM with with what they call auto charge is it's operates like plug and charge, but it's using the MAC address of the vehicle, which frankly is a little bit sketch in the sense of like that's not as secure, but it is meant to give the same experience, which requires nothing around the lines of what's my fintech play there. It's like if the OEM decides to manage that and communicate to the network on that level. There is no play there. And if that's where the OEMs are wanting to go, and frankly, what is akin to a Tesla experience, I, f- I see that opportunity dwindling and dwindling over time. In my yeah, opinion. that's that's actually, it's almost like if you wanted to have done, or if any company um, wanted to go down the FinTech Avenue, it would have been like five years ago yeah. because eventually the automakers, I, they've been talking about moving into that plug and charge, like automated system for years now. It just kind of starting to happen. So yeah, that leaves not not a not a necessarily a large window to scale something like that up. It's tough. And on top, even for scaling it up, the other tough part is like how do how do the dollars and cents actually work? And if if part of the draw of EVs is you can fill up more cheaply than if you were using gasoline and all of a sudden you have these demand you know demand charges on high powered charging in certain areas and your fill up to get 200 and 250 miles of range costs you $60. All of a sudden, for people that don't have houses where they can fill up at night, that becomes less of an attractive element. If the moment, again, people are very simple creatures. When, when fuel prices you know, ebb and flow, hybrid cars sell great when gas prices reach $5 a gallon, and then they go back down when they don't. But I think this is probably part of the other communication aspect is even like plug-in hybrids. I mentioned, gosh, the Volt was such a great car. I think where the government has missed the opportunity for communication is they went out of their way to try to explain PHEVs and you know, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles as very unique and different. And they have an MPGE, a miles per gallon equivalent, and all these different... It's like, no, brass tacks. How do you use this car? You can drive 40 miles on electricity and you can drive 400 on gasoline. Put that on the Monroney and explain the fact that it uses two fuels. That is still an un, untouched conversation outside of Chargeway that we see as a, again, we're the only ones really work on communicating electricity fuel in a way that is approachable. And I think that that's still an opportunity where plug-in hybrids are still a great opportunity, but that could then lend to people filling up electricity more cheaply when they can, like on standard charging, not on fast charging, and just using gasoline when they need it on long road trips. Um, but maybe that ship has sailed because everybody's just leaning into doing full electric now. Well, and I think I think the the fact I mean, what you know, the, the education problem you're solving with Chargeway is a distinct one, but it's part of there's like I think a lot of people have underestimated how important education is to to making whether it's electrification or autonomy, like to, to developing actual markets on this. I think we've been so desperate to believe that uh, these technologies can be just sort of squeezed into the box of a car, and we can just continue on with our with our same old habits. And and again, like for me, I think one of the big challenges with EVs is explaining to people like, hey, this is not just a car in the same sense. Maybe it makes sense to have an EV for commuting and your nine to five Monday, Monday through Friday sort of around town stuff. And then, you know, maybe even rent for road trips if you don't do them that often and kind of getting more realistic about using the right tool for the right purpose, because cars have been such a great all purpose device that we want to keep just having one vehicle to, to solve it all. But, but, you know, to the extent that we are going to be using EVs for, for road trips, um, you know, we do have to do something about the, the charging piece. Obviously, The gasoline is a great equalizer. I mean, it, it, you could buy any brand of car, any shape of car, and gasoline works. It just does. 
And, and that's, that is what, to, to the point I was made earlier about, it's not about range anxiety. It's about, can I fill up anxiety? <laughs> it's not, I, and I say this all the time. It's like, yeah, gasoline cars aren't perpetual motion machines. You have to fill them up. So people that buy a brand new Mustang GT that gets kind of meh gas mileage, they're not giving one care in the world to where they find their fuel. And they're buying that car with 100% confidence. That's That points to it's about how we help them understand the fueling experience. And if you start throwing engineering terminology at people, and again, the, the, the offering that they have across the, you know, the showroom is premium or regular, they're just going to do that. And every dealer we've talked to have said, we don't have to explain gas. They just buy the car. If it says go get regular or go get unleaded, that's what they do. And they don't, they, it's never a point we bring up with EVs and charging. We have to talk to about, talk to people about it unless they pre-educated. And that is a very small swath of the marketplace. We're talking maybe five to 10% of the market that will want to pre-educate on that level because once people dive into that, it gets very intimidating. And that's, and so our goal is to say, if we know that's the truth, we're not going to see this massive spike of EV sales with people saying, gosh, I became an electrical engineer and I know how to drive my car. It's just not going to happen. They, they need it easier than that. And I think that's part of what our focus was with our platform is you choose your car. You can see stations that work for you. We have a charge time estimator that helps you understand how charging works. And we have a trip planner that helps you go where you want to go. And it does all the thinking for you. Um, and, and this even gets down to battery voltage. You know, some vehicles are 800 volts, some are 400 volts. Some of the charging stations are out there that are marketing 125 kilowatt as peak kilowatt only can do that if you plug in a vehicle that's 800 volt if you plug in a vehicle that's 400 volt you're only gonna get 80 kilowatt how on earth are we supposed to expect average people to figure that out so in our platform we do that for people we say look if you choose this vehicle that's 400 volt and you're plugging into this station we know can only give you that max kw if you're an 800 volt car instead of showing you a green six we're going to show you a green five and it's just that simple. And you go, oh, well, but there's a green six across the street that doesn't have that voltage issue. That, that Not that they would know that. They just see a green six across the street because we know it would work better for them. And these are things that our system and, and, and platform navigates for people on their, on, like, on their behalf. And that's the, I think that's going to be something that as we get more people in the general public engaging with EVs, what we put our finger on years ago and built a platform to solve is going to become more obvious that it's, that it's something that needs to be translated. So, so have you had uh, talks with any U.S. government officials or EU officials about the chargeway, I guess, nomenclature and naming system, uh, ranking system becoming the standard? The, the standard. Well, yeah, everybody in the in the public sector space, when they see someone from the private sector who came up with something that could be a standard, it always gets a little bit like, uh, you know, we have standard bodies for that. That's what we do, right? Um we have talked to a variety. We've talked to people that join office. We have, we have talked to people. I think the best advice, frankly, though, I got from someone at DOE uh, about four or five years ago was if you try to get government to just take this as it is and run with it, it's going to get butchered. We're going to find a way to screw it up. The best advice that I was given was go show this to the public, not the early adopters, but average people, and show the world that this is a better way to help OEMs, networks, utilities, and drivers navigate all this then that will be something that could just simply be looked at as this is the de facto. This is the, this is what average people can use and it helps them navigate all this chaos. That was some advice we were given long ago. And I think it was early in that sense, but we're now seeing as an example at the New York auto show being there with, with NIPA, that was an example of they're turning a corner too. They're realizing a lot of the work that as a utility and a, you know, as a power authority, just as one example that they've been doing for years is, and Ed and I were kind of talking this before we started uh, the show was, People were in that early adopter world and, and you really could just rely on the fact that they walked up saying, 
Ah, uh, no, I know. J1772, baby. That's my jam at home. And CCS is what I uh, chat about. That's OG DC. I mean, like, that's not that they would say it like that, I guess. But, you know, I'm saying, like, they knew how to talk about the terminology in a way that just blew people's minds. And the dealers all said, we know you're an EV buyer because you want to talk about that stuff. That's what we had for the last five to 10 years, if not longer. We are now turning the corner because the NIPA team, as an example, they experienced a lot of questions at the Buffalo Auto Show that they said, wow, these are, these are framed differently. This is more of a general public assessment of, I'm sorry, you want me to understand AC, DC, what at home with level what, two and 240 volt outlet? I don't get it. But they realized that our platform would be more tuned to a general public audience. And that's what we designed it for. So we're finally seeing that we're turning the corner. And with vehicles like Ionic 5, Ionic 6, ID4, ED6, I mean, these are more mainstream EVs. They're not the premium you know, type of vehicle. We're getting more of those people to justify saying, I can buy a $35,000, $40,000 EV and be excited about it. But then they still have to navigate this. So I think our solution, even though we haven't had the opportunity to say this could be the standard yet, I think we're going to have an opportunity to point to the fact that we have the right mousetrap when it comes to how to communicate. It makes perfect sense that you would be mostly targeting um, you know, fast uh, high-speed chargers on you know, public public infrastructure. Is this something that you've tried to to work into the the home charging market as well? Is that market just much smaller? Like, uh, yeah, where, 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 how does that piece fit in? No, great question. Well, one of the things we've found with a lot of our utility partners is they have level two home charging programs. Level one, you just plug into the wall outlet. Level two, you can upgrade to it, obviously. And so we found that through our platform, they have they have they have a translation for. We're talking about public charging, how it can be fast, but here's what we can offer you at home. And they leverage our software as a way to guide people into programs. They can say, if you want a green two for your house, hit this button on our kiosk that we have in dealerships, for example, and they can get information on how to upgrade or get a rebate on something like that. So we're seeing that the language, that the system we have for colors and numbers, it translates both home and away from home very elegantly. Is It really kind of compartmentalizes, you can use one and two at home. And you can use three and higher away from home for faster opportunity to charge. And it defines it really effectively. So we're leaning into doing more on the side of what home charging can look like for, for drivers. I think from the outset, what we realized is a lot of early adopters, they had kind of figured out, okay, I can fill up at home. And average people that weren't like the early adopters, they needed to see that electric fuel safety net inside of a, inside of a visualization. And that's what the platform is designed to do from the outset was, yeah, you can fill up at home, but look, we can do away from home. But now we can pivot that to do a very effective job of explaining both. And yeah, we're definitely working on that right now. So, um, Throughout the conversation, we've identified um, and you've given a lot of detail about some big issues with the current current setup. Um, hardware, we've talked about the, you know, the communication issue between the car pulling up to a charger, being able to easily pay uh, the location, the signage, the maintenance. Um, so, if you had to pick one thing that you wish like every automaker and third party, you know, charging company did right now, like as number one priority, like which, which piece is the number one priority? Oh, if I could wave a magic wand. Um, yes. I, I would make everybody switch to one plug type immediately. I mean, that that is one of the bigger con- – I mean – we can't solve the challenge of the physics part of it from the power side. That is going to be a fundamental, difficult discussion for both you know, battery chemistry and how we get the power and you name it, home and away from home. That's not an easy solution. Easy, same plug type. If we could do that, it would solve a lot of issues of like, I don't have to explain if you can connect. You can just connect. Now we just have to explain wait time. And I think that the, the deeper layers of like, we're causing our own problems by design by committee to have 
something like CCS come to market when bluntly the, the Tesla connector is a more elegant solution. It is identical at home and away from home. And it, just having to explain J1772 compared to CCS as you know, for an EV owner, that already is a conundrum. We just say it's green stations. Levels one and two are at home and three and higher are away from home. That's a way to define the difference, but they still physically have a different look to it. And frankly, if if we could make it just more elegant and simple for that alone, that would be a huge win for drivers. Kind, but, kind of kind of makes you wonder though if like if if one plug is just genuinely better and for some reason everybody doesn't want to use the better thing i wonder well, why that is i'd say that there, there might be some uh, other issues at play there, there uh, might be some challenges uh building a, an industry-wide coalition around certain players for yeah for some reason yeah yeah, yeah, yeah well, interesting yeah, I, I, and coming out and calling it the, the you know the North, North American charging standard, that's nice. You can say that. But again, that's PR in the same way, you know, Blue Oval Network and Ultium 360 is PR. And it's like, come on, you know, so. But I would say that would be that would be a huge simplification because then it's one less element to explain. If a driver just knows they can hook up, then that's like going to a gas station. I know I can access my fuel there. I know I can get access to it. But then it's the, what's my wait time? So I, I would say that'd be the easiest magic wand moment to wave. But every day, more infrastructure rolling out that has multiple connector types or different connector types. And so that for that reason alone, Chargeway is going to be very important for drivers moving forward because there is no pathway right now to making it one plug type as at a minimum. So, so that was my magic wand question. So then, you know, coming back down to reality, what do you actually predict is going to happen? You mentioned that uh, more infrastructure is getting rolled out all the time, but um over the next five years is super important because virtually every automaker and the U.S. government has very specific goals around EV sales, some starting as early as 2026, but really 2030 is like across the board is a deadline for virtually every automaker at some like EV sales or some sort of cutting emissions um, on the government side. So what do you anticipate is going to happen between now, maybe not to the end of the decade, but because that's, you know, a good six, seven years um, from now, but over the next few years, do you think that there's going to be like a major correction where everyone wakes up and says, this isn't working or seven years from now, are we going to still have CCS and a bunch of different other connectors and um, the same, maybe some improvements on what's happening, but just really more more chargers, not necessarily some foundational changes. I, I think the last point you made is, is what I would anticipate I think is going to happen is we'll have more chargers, but not a fundamental shift in how we're actually collectively working more effectively as an industry. Um, namely because if you have the Tesla monster that's, <laughs> that's building infrastructure like crazy and not really accommodating what everyone else is doing and everyone else is sort of trying to figure that out, um, you, you will have competing models moving forward. And there's no evidence to say that there's a mandate around shifting to one plug type. It just isn't there. So I think because of that, I, my biggest concern is there's going to be a lot of dollars spent through the NEVI funds where it will be with the best of intentions. And that's fine. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't transit into success. Is You might find a lot of stranded assets in states where they said you forced us to spend this money. And the DOTs that were set to create these plans in every state... They didn't know how to create a retail-facing fueling infrastructure plan. They just said, we do infrastructure by sake of roads. And so, yeah, we can put them where you want us to put them. We'll work with the local power grid to get them powered on. But is it going to truly be as effective as we hope? And I'm concerned that it may not be. Um, and Matt, do you, yeah. 
Do you have when when the city of Portland did their first charging thing? So I have a right right around the corner from my house in, in front of a, a, a Domino's. There's like a, a a blink. I think it's a blink. It's someone charger that was put in like I don't know twenty. 14 maybe i I can't remember when it was that the city of portland was like we're gonna lead on ev chargers i walk past that thing every single like i walk to all all my stuff right past it every single day i've seen it used in the more than 10 years i've lived at this house it's been at least 10 years uh i used it twice i think ever ever and and like so so i think like this is one of the things that i think the message that you're that you're putting out here the, the the concern that you're articulating is I, I just want to reinforce this is not some like you know thing to worry about for the sake of worrying about it. Like the record is pretty clear that like moving first on this is a fraught thing, and there's a million ways to go in with the right intentions and to make something that is just absolutely useless. Right, it was like a waste of of, of public money. Um, so anyway, I just want to throw that out there because it, just to reinforce the point that you're making here that like 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 doing infrastructure not not the right way is worse than not doing it at all. Almost. I would agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's happened is we have this with this, you know, this push to have this done. And so again, for all the right reasons, we do have to solve how, like from an emissions perspective, we can't just keep burning gasoline and pumping emissions into the atmosphere. We know that the, the scientific evidence there is we have to transition how we move and how we fuel, how we move. And that also comes into consideration of how we're creating electricity. But that's something that's well studied already. But I think the idea of your point of just like infrastructure for infrastructure's sake of saying, look, we did this, that, you know, your ribbon cutting photo that you got is is not going to actually prove to be useful to drivers. But what's the effort for the infrastructure? Is it for a political win or is it actually with a plan? And I think from Tesla's perspective, they had an ecosystem plan for the ownership experience, whereas everyone else is working in silos trying to communicate and the evidence is there that there's not a lot of collaboration there that actually is effective for the end user. So, Matt, what's the end game for Chargeway? Like, how does the business grow, scale? What's the plan? I mean, our goal from the outset was to be a solution for drivers and for everybody, the non-early adopters and the early adopters alike. So I think the long-term goal that we would have is if we know we can define all of this chaos and how people can navigate using electricity as a fuel type, I think the primary marketplace that we can play in is the energy sector. And I think that those who are in that space that are producing electricity, they have to have a good answer around how they communicate this to their customers and their service territory. And we do an effective job of that that also, by design, effectively communicates on how the efficacy of any EV you choose will work. And so, but I think who's the player in that space that needs to answer that question? The automakers, I think, have made it very clear to say, when we want to build cars that have big batteries in them that run on electricity, we can do it. But the other side of that conversation is, is who's producing the new fuel? How do we communicate that fuel? How do people understand how to use that fuel? I think that's really where our our sweet spot is. And it just so happens that it is a connective tissue between these stakeholders that have been working in silos, but our platform by design helps connect their efforts. So okay. where, where does that lead us? <laughs> Maybe somebody big, big, and big and huge out there that sees the value in that one day will say, gosh, that Chargeway software platform is just the key to everything, isn't it? We'll take that off your hands, Matt. <laughs> so maybe that'll happen. So Matt, nice. w- my last question, what do you drive? I currently have a Tesla Model 3. And and previously I had a, a first generation Bolt and then a second generation Bolt. And my wife had a Spark EV and then she had a Bolt and now she has a Y. So we've had a nice run of everything you know, through the, the landscape of EVs. And what we landed on was we do enjoy the simplicity of the, of the fueling experience that Tesla's ecosystem provides. 
But that means the work I do every day with my team is that we help every other brand have an easier ecosystem for drivers. How magnanimous of you. (laughs) Hey, man. I'm also human, right? (laughs) Uh, Well, on that note, unless Ed has some burning question. No. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. And to our audience, thank you for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.